So we have been in a series we just started last week in the book of James where we are actually over the next 10 weeks or maybe a few more, a couple more depending on how the Lord leads us and Lord's me in writing these messages. Um, we are preaching through the book of James, um, something I've not done previously where I've done 10 weeks of a series. I've not done that before and I'm kind of enjoying the ideas of it. And so we've been talking about James as is God's plan for faith. It's God's blueprint plan for our faith. And so last week in part one, we talked about the blueprint plan for maturity, for growing and growing up. And in this series, we determined that James is, breaking, is going to be broken down into three main themes as, as we move through. The first theme that you will find in this book is when talking about trials and temptations. Today, we're going to be talking about temptation, which I'm excited about this message. And then it's also the second part that this, is, this, seri- this uh, series in this book is broken down is in wisdom and speech. Don't miss that. A lot of folks want to talk about the, the, the maturity and the temptation and the overcoming sin, but they don't want to talk about the words that come out of their mouths. And so we're going to talk about that. And then a the third theme that you'll find through Scripture, through the book of James, is talks about wealth and poverty. So this is, this is what all of these weeks are going to be centered around, those three themes. And last week we talked about God's blueprint plan for maturity. We looked at the first 12 verses of James chapter 1. We unpacked these verses to see a plan. And the plan was very simple. It was, there was a four, it was, this is the plan of God when it comes to maturing. It's, evalu- it's evaluation, seeing your trials through the eyes of faith. Having information, understanding what the trial is producing in you, work with God in the process, and ask God for help. That was the plan unfolded last week in James chapter 1, the first 12 verses. If you were not here, I would encourage you to log on to our website at rfcpeoria.com and um, click the listen tab and you can listen to last week's message if you need to refresh or you just need to hear it. And so as we read through those 12 verses... Um, and, and, and we got to this understood, understanding this plan. It's not just that there's a plan, but there's an absolute end to this plan. And there was a reward in the, in the 12th verse of, chapter, of James chapter 1. The reward was that we were going to be blessed and we would receive a crown of glory and a crown of life. So that there's, there's, this, there's this absolute honor and blessing and reward when we follow this process that God has laid out. And so we came up with this thought. I came up with this thought and said that when we evaluate the struggle, the pain, the trial through the eyes of faith, we understand what it's producing in us. We work with God in in it all and ask for his help. Then you will be surrounded with glory and honor and life, the kind of life that comes directly from God for you both now physically and spiritually, but also in the future. That's the whole point of maturity. Maturity and growing up sucks. I wish I could stand up here and sing the Toys R Us song and say, I don't want to grow up. I'm a Toys R Us kid. I'm not a big fan of growing up because growing up means I'm going to be more responsible and then I have to be more mature. And man, I just maturity is just not my strong suit. I want to be petty. I want to be immature. I want to tell you I don't like that. But the reality is that's not growth in Christ. That's not growth in faith. And so my pastor told me, my spiritual father, he told me, and it was the worst thing. I was, we were having a conversation, a meeting. I was in a, in a rough place spiritually. I was in a rough place emotionally, even mentally. And I'm sitting with him, and, and he, he put his arm on my shoulder, and I'm just like, I'm feeling his love. And I'm, 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 my eyes are closed, and I'm just like in that anticipation moment. And, and he says, I've got, I've, got, I've got something great to tell you. And I'm just waiting for like everything for him to say is just going to come across my heart, and everything's going to be perfect. And he says, Mike, the measure, the, the measure in which you will grow is directly connected to the measure in which you're willing to suffer. 
And I was like, that's not what I want to hear. But the reality is that's part of life. You know, we all celebrate in the glory of God and the glory of and the presence of God, but forget the sufferings of Christ. And Paul specifically said, I, I want to fellowship in the sufferings of Christ, but that's a whole other message we're not even going to get into just yet because there's some, something there. But today we're going to look at part two of this James series, and the title of this message is The Blueprint Plan to Overcome Temptation. So today's message, my, my hope is that it's filled with power because it's the Word of God, but also I believe this is going to be a very practical message that you can take something home and say, all right, I, I, I feel like I can now overcome. Anybody ever been tempted before? Anybody ever fall to temptation before? All right, if every hand ain't up in a room, some of y'all are lying or just too lazy to lift your hand. I don't know which one it is. Could be a little bit of both. But anyway, hey, I like to have fun here. Anyway, so we're going to be in James chapter 1, verses 13 through 18. They're going to be on the screen. They're also on your notes. And I put a bunch of blanks on your notes today, so you got some work to do. Um, Hopefully, you'll, hopefully you can keep up. If you, if you fall behind, don't get frustrated. Just ask me, and I'll be glad to give you my notes after service or even after service is over. I can tell you what you missed if you missed something because every now and then I skip one or every now and then I go by so quickly that you miss one. So here's what the Bible says in James chapter 1, verse number 13 through 18. It says, and remember when you are being tempted, do not say God is tempting me. And let's just get that out of the way quickly. Some folks like to say, oh, well, God is tempting. No, he's testing, but he's not tempting. He doesn't tempt, he tests. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Verse 14, temptation comes from our own desires. You see that? Our own desires is where temptation comes from, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father who created all the lights in heaven. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. And that could preach right there by itself. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. And we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. And that is the word of God according to James. It's a powerful message that's found in here. So today we're going to talk a little bit about sin because I, I, I don't believe it's talked enough about in church. Hopefully, hopefully the goal is that you're not condemned by this message because the Bible is very clear. It says there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ, but hopefully you are convicted by this message. Um, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at God's blueprint plan to overcome temptation. So the first blank that you have on your sheets is simply recognize the source of temptation. Right there in verse number 13, it says, And remember when you were being tempted, do not say God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. So then if God's not the one tempting, then where is the temptation coming from? Outside of our own desires, it's coming from the devil. Yes, very real devil. I want you to believe in the devil because he's very real. Because if we, a lot of times, especially in the gospel today, people want to say, they want to believe in Christ and believe in all this, but the devil is not this real thing. They don't want to believe in the devil. They don't want to believe in hell. They don't want to believe in this, this other. But the reality is, to be, the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with Christ. And if you are absent from the body and you are a believer, you are present with Christ. If you are absent from your body, meaning if you have died and you are not a believer, you're not with Christ. 
you are with the devil. You are in this place called hell. And the only way out of, there's no way out of there, but the only way out of going there is to give, and give our lives over to Christ. And so hopefully by the time we're done, and that sounds heavy way to start a message, but it is the truth. And that's all I know to preach. And so, yes, I want you to believe in the devil. The, dev- the devil is a master deceiver. He is a master liar. It's what he does. It's who he is. He goes around. The Bible says the devil is, prowls around looking for those that he may devour. Who he can convince is a liar. Who he can deceive. Who he can tempt. Who he can hurt. Who he can harm. He, that's what his desire is. Is All over the earth, that's what he's trying to do. He came to steal and to kill and to destroy. See, but here's the thing. Whenever you think about that, everybody can say, oh my gosh, yes, the devil, he comes to steal. He comes to kill. He comes to destroy. I'm going to avoid the devil. But here's the challenge, because when we think about steal, kill, and destroy, we get this ugly image. But the devil brings it in a beautiful way. He packages it in such a way that says, oh, well, it's not really that bad or and this is how it starts, and we won't, even, we won't even give the devil credit for this, but this is kind of how it starts. Let's look at like a, a place that nobody likes to talk about, a thing that nobody likes to talk about, and that's this idea of our taxes that we have to pay. And then we get to our tax return, and we say, I'm going to fudge this line a little bit. I'm going to fudge that a line. It's, it's not that big of a deal. It's kind of like the gray area so that I can get more money or pay less money. That's how it starts. He packages it in such a way that's like, ah, it's not so bad. I preached a, a youth service once in Laredo, Texas when I was a youth pastor on, on how God packages sin. And I took this big, big box that was, that was wrapped like in this beautiful wrapping paper with ribbons and bows. And it was sitting up front and everybody was enamored by this box. They were like, man, that's, I mean, the person who wrapped it did an incredible job. It was beautifully wrapped. And it, people were like, what's that the gift? And everybody's like, you got a gift for us, Pastor Mike? I'm like, yep. I got a gift for you. It's beautiful. Look at this box. I mean, if it's wrapped this beautifully, it's got to be, right? It's got to be amazing. Underneath the box that was wrapped was an aquarium filled with snakes. And it was just as an image to say, this is what the devil does. He brings this package and places it in front of you so beautifully, but it's deadly inside. And that's what he does. And see, here's how it works. We love to point the finger at other sources and play these games. And one of these games I call is, is the blame game. Well, everybody else is doing it. All the high school students and junior high school students in the room right now, you're going to hear that often. And you're probably going to say it often. Everybody is doing it. Or I, this one, the lonesome dove game. That's what I call it, the lonesome dove game. Well, no one really knows how hard it is. No one understands. That is one of those lies the devil will tell you to keep you isolated from the body. Because when you feel like no one understands you, when you feel like no one else understands what you're going through, then you withdraw yourself from people, and next thing you know, you are cut off from life. Or you play the strongman game. It's just too powerful for me to overcome. You know, maybe, maybe you're a man and, and you, you struggle with sin. We're going to be real today, so junior high school students, listen up. Maybe you're a young man and you struggle with the lust that, of, of your eyes and what's in front of you and what's beautiful. And you see this woman or you see this young lady and all of, them had, all of a sudden your eyes begin to go towards that person and say, hmm, that's so wonderful. 
That's beautiful. It's just, it's the beauty is just too strong for me to overcome. So I must indulge myself. Now you may not say it like that, but that's how it real, reality of how it works. And then there's the deer in the headlights. I just didn't know. You ever drive up on a deer with your headlights? They just stop and stare at you. And I'm like, stupid, get out of the road. I drive Uber, and so as a part-time job in, in, in Marquette Heights, when you turn off of the main road up into Marquette Heights, there's deer everywhere up there, and they're all dumb. They will stand in the middle of the road, and oftentimes, when it came, I came to this one turn just, just the other night, I came around this turn, and my lights hit this deer, and he was actually on the side of the road in the grass in safety, and decided he was going to run onto the road. You know, it sounds funny. We laugh at deer and we look at them and say, man, they're stupid. But the reality is that's us. That's what we do. When the sin is in front of us and temptation is in front of us, instead of saying, oh, get thee behind me, Satan, we say, I'm coming. And we start running towards it. Dumb, deer in the headlights. And then after it's all said and done and we're guilty, it's like, I just didn't know. That's just not true. Stop playing those games. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says, The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. So therefore, you are not alone. Scripture says is no different than what others experience. So people do understand. And God is faithful. He will not allow. Let's, we're going to fix somebody's theology today. If I haven't already fixed it, because I preach this often, we're going to fix it today. He says he will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. Notice what it says. First of all, uh, let me just fix theology. A lot of people will use this passage of scripture to say that God won't send anything your way that you cannot handle. That's a lie. That's the devil. If someone tells you that and they're in the church, they get thee behind me, Satan. It's okay because Jesus told it to Peter. And Peter was one of the guys who had preached the gospel in such a bold and powerful way that thousands would get saved. So you can say it to your friend. Because that's what they do. They use this passage of scripture to say, God will never bring anything your way that you cannot handle. That's a lie. Everything that comes your way, you cannot handle. But with God, you can handle it. That's the point. You're not supposed to do life without Christ. So, but the temptations in your life are no different than what others experience. So, therefore, you're not alone, number one. God is faithful. He hasn't left you, number two. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. So, therefore, oh, I just did. I could not help myself. I was overcome by the power of sin. No. That's you. That's your desire. That's your issue. That is not the sin. That is not God. That is the devil tempting you and you saying, okay, I'm all yours. And then it says, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. He doesn't say, I will show you a way out and eliminate the temptation. He says, I will show you a way out. Why? So you can endure the temptation. You're supposed to walk through the temptation. You're just not supposed to give in to the temptation. He shows you the way out. He says, I'm going to give you a way out, and you have to be so alert of, to, to, to seeing Christ's way out that that's when you don't fall. That's when you say, oh, I see that. You know, I used to teach uh, young men and young women um, these techniques, and mostly young men. My wife, would, we would separate the men and women and talk about real serious issues, sex and lust and all these types of things. And, and I used to tell the students, I give them this, this is what I do. I am real like you, and if this bothers you that your pastor is real, find a place where he's not real, and you'll be okay. But I will walk. I am a man like any other man. I will walk, and there will be something that gravitates, grabs my attention. Usually, it can be a woman who's not dressed well, or it can be something that I really desire or want. 
you know, in a store window, something, and I will walk and, I'll, and I will see it, and I would tell, teach them, say, this was my process. See, and then say, whoa, and bounce my eyes to something else. Uh, it's the physical manifestation of what my spirit really wants. I don't want that. I want what I already have. And so when I see it, I'm just going to move my eyes to what I already have. Now, there are times that you will see it. You will bounce your eyes and say, oh, is there anywhere I can look? Because you're bouncing them all over the place. And in that case, just leave wherever you are. It's very simple. There is always a way out. I was meeting with a friend of mine, a fellow pastor in Peoria, one of my favorite people, and one of the most dynamic preachers I've ever heard, and he pre- he's preached here before, but he and I were sitting down having a cup of coffee. We were enjoying some great fellowship and conversation. We were meant, uh, sharpening one another, pouring into one another's lives, and he left, and our, our time was over, and in walks this lady, and I didn't even see her walk in, because she'd walked in while we were talking, and she sat down at the table behind him in front of me, and I had not even seen this person, but she's facing me. And so I get up and go get another cup of coffee, which is normal for me to drink, I don't know, seven, eight, nine, twelve cups of coffee a day. I'm a little wired this morning. But um, so I, I sit there and, and um, I go grab my cup of coffee. I sit back down. I open my laptop. And I'm about to work and I get a phone call and it's my friend. And he says to me, now remember I just said, God will always give you a way out. He said, I just wanted to let you know that there's a woman who walked in. She sat down behind me. She was sent there to tempt you and to distract you. And I was like, praise God, brother. I appreciate that word. Doing a good. Thank you so much. Oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be strong. So I sit there and immediately what does my flesh do? I start looking around for her. I look, I see, I'm like, oh, Lord, God, no closed my laptop, didn't wrap anything up, stuffed it in my bag, and walked out of, the, of Starbucks with my bag wide open, cords hanging, people saying, sir, sir, and I'm like, uh-uh, I'm out of here. See, sometimes you get into a situation where you just got to say, uh-uh, I'm out of here. Not think, oh, I'm strong, I can handle it. No, you're not. No, you're not. You know, here's what the reality is. Some people say, well, you know what? God thinks I can handle so much. Yeah, here's, here's the truth. If you ever drove in a truck, a big truck, you know, they've got half-ton trucks, three-quarter-ton trucks, one-ton trucks. They've got deuce and a half in the, in the military, two-and-a-half-ton trucks. They've got tanks. They've got all kinds of heavy machinery everywhere you look. The frame of that machinery determines how much it can handle. So here's the reality. A half-ton truck is not going to be, the frame on a half-ton truck is not going to be able to handle the, the weight of a tank. And so God knows this when it comes to our walk with him. He knows our maturity level. He knows what we can handle. He's not going to send such a weight on you that you can't bear it as far as being able to see God's leading out of it. He knows what you can handle. So when you're facing it, it's real simple. Walk out of it. You say, oh, it's so easier said than done. No, actually, it's easier to get up off of your feet and walk than it is to say I can handle it. It's It's so much easier just to do it. Now, that being said, I have failed quite often, and so will you. But here's the reality. According to, this, uh, according to Psalm 139, he knows everything about you. He created you. He knit you together. So how, why wouldn't he know how much of a load that you can handle? How, why wouldn't he not know how much temptation you can handle, and then he provides you the way out? See, but that is a, there's a delicate balance between what you can handle and how much you're truly dependent on him. 
See, he created in you, you in a way to handle a lot. But your maturity and your dependence on him might limit what you're actually able to handle. And so you have to be consistently looking, consistently trying to find ways out of temptation. Because the reality is you have to recognize the source and know that God's provided a way out. The second thing, and this is where we start getting into some practicality of, of, of temptation, is you have to understand the process of temptation. There is a process of temptation. Verse 14 and 15, temptation comes from our own desires. Temptation comes from our own desires. Let me tell you, the devil does not make you do it. He gives you opportunity, but he does not force you to do it. That's your desire that does that. So the, de- the temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. Your desire, see, that's why when I pray, when I say, God, I pray like John the Baptist prayed that I would decrease so that you might increase, that my desires would decrease so that yours might increase, because my desires will entice me and drag me away. And our, our desires in and of themselves are not bad. I mean, God even said, you know, lo- love me, serve me, and I will give you the desires of your heart. So it's not the desires that are bad, it's the way they lead us, which can be bad. And so we have to pay close attention to that, because temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. Verse 15, these desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. There is a process. Temptation being the first process. There's five blanks underneath that number two. The first one is temptation. Temptation is the beginning of the process. First John chapter 1, verse 8, the Bible says, If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. So don't, don't say that you have sin, don't have sin, because you would then be a liar. Temptation in itself is not sin. Not at all. Temptation in and of itself is definitely not sin. It is customized to our weakness. What does that mean? Each one of us have weaknesses. When it comes to sin and temptation. And the devil knows those weaknesses. So, like for me, for instance. Typically, typically, not all the time, but typically I don't, I don't have a weakness when it comes to my financial situation. Take all my money away, I'm still going to worship God, I'm still going to stand and preach, and I don't really care. It's just the way I am. Take it all away, I'm still going to spend, I'm still going to give to God. Some people have this mentality, says, oh, I can't afford to give. I look at it as I can't afford not to. So if he's giving me 100 bucks, I'm giving him at least 20, 30, 40 of it because I know he's going to bless me with more. I just, it's, it's in here. It's in here. I'm not, I'm not too tempted by that too much. However, there are other parts of my life where my weaknesses are, I'm a little bit more inclined to be tempted. That's where the devil comes. He's not going to come and necessarily try to take all my money away. Although he's tried a couple of times and it's not worked. I'm still standing and I've still been able to eat and my children are still covered and taken care of. So that's not the fight, but over here might be the fight. So your, your ability, your, your temptation itself is not a sin. It's customized to your weakness. And you might think, man, why the devil always tempting me with this? It's because he knows he can get you with it. He's not going to come at you with something he doesn't think he can get you with. Satan matches, it's like fishing. Satan matches the lure to the one he wants to catch. You know, it's like, it's like, it's like fishing. If you, if you go out and if you go out onto the ocean and you crumble up a big, big pile, a big piece of bread and stick it on a hook and you cast it out there, you can reel it, reel it back in. You're going to have nothing but wet bread because fish, those fish in the ocean are not going to eat wet bread. Now you catch a fish, a small fish, 
you chop it, you chop it little pieces of it up, and you put a big chunk of a fish on a hook, and you cast that into the ocean, you're going to catch yourself a big fish. That's how that works. The devil works the same way. He lures you with what he knows will catch what he's trying to catch. He's not, he's not, he's not just randomly casting a net. He is very specific. You know, what he does, he's just like fishing. Fish, I lo- I, fishing to me, I mean, I, I'm not a fisherman, and I don't have any issues with anybody who's fishes. I'm not, one of the fish, I'm not one of those types of people, but really it's cruel. Seriously, you're putting this enticing piece of bait on the end of a sharp hook. You're hiding the hook so that you cast it into the water, and you play with it. You tempt it. You tease it. Like, oh, come and get it. You pull on it a little bit. The fish's eyes get real big. If, if I, I want to put a GoPro camera on the end of one of those hooks one day. The eyes of the fish get real big. The mouth gets real big. Oh, I'm about to have a snack. They chomp down. You pull the hook, and now he's got a hook through his mouth. It's kind of cruel when you think about it. I mean, I don't have any issues with people doing it at all, and I've fished before. I never catch anything. That's probably why I don't like it. But that's what the devil does. He hides the hook and say, oh, it's not going to hurt me. It's, it, it, this is going to be good. This is going to taste good. It's going to be okay. This is going to be okay. It's not going to hurt me. And then he hooked through the cheek. And then before you know it, you're in so deep that your marriage is shot. You're in so deep that you lose your job. You're in so deep that you lose children. It happens. And here's the thing. No one is exempt. It happens to pastors standing at platforms every single day. Every single day, there are pastors that have forfeited their ability and their right to stand before the people of God and preach the gospel because they've given themselves over to sin and temptation. So temptation is the first step. The second part process in that is, is there's this fantasy of sin. There's this fantasy of sin. Job chapter 31, verse number 1, the Bible says, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look with lust at a young woman. Matthew chapter 5, verse 28, Jesus said, But I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. There is this fantasy that we have with anything, not just women, not just sex, not just those things, but even life. There's this fantasy life that we look for and say, man, I thought I was going to be living in this big house driving this nice car, and I was going to be sending my kids to the college of their choice, and I was going to be able to afford it. And there's this fantasy that we've built up that we look to the fantasy more than we look to the reality And next thing you know, we find ourselves tripped up and we find ourselves in a place where we begin to covet what someone else has. We begin to look at someone else and say, man, that's not fair that they get that and I don't. Or my favorite one is the person who looks at the person, and you find this more in the the church than you find it in the world, but they see someone in the church who drives a nice car. And that person just, they should just sell their car and give the money to the poor. Knowing full well they ain't going to do that. It comes out of a jealous spirit. It comes out of a covet, covetousness where they lay want what they have. And since they can't have it, then they shouldn't have it either. That's sin. We don't see it as that, but that's sin. So once, once we've given, it's like King David. King David was considered to be the man after God's own heart. One of the most powerful men of all of Scripture. He was found one time gazing at this beautiful woman across the balcony. And said to his servants, go get her and bring her to me. I want her. And if you read the story, you find he had many opportunities to escape this temptation. But he said, no, I want her. And so they go and they bring her. The story is that he cheated. cheated. He took this woman as his own. She was married. Took Took her as his own. Got her pregnant. 
sent her husband to the front line of the battlefield in hopes that he would die. And then the story goes that that baby, was, that baby, was, that baby died. Because there's consequence to sin. Here's what you have to realize. Understanding your sin, and har- as horrible as it is, does not disqualify you from God using you. Does not matter. What you've done, what you do, what you will do, does not disqualify you from God. Because the reality of salvation is this. I have been saved. I am today being saved. And one day I will be eternally saved. That's how salvation works. So I've been saved. I've given my life to Christ. Now I'm walking this journey. You want to call it sanctification? Go ahead and call it that. I call it I'm still being saved. And then I'm one day when I stand before the throne of God. He says, well done, my good and faithful servant. I have been saved. During that journey, you're going to fail. You're going to fall, and it does not disqualify you. What disqualifies you is your inability and refusal to repent. That's what disqualifies you, your desire to not change. Are you sorry because you got busted, or are you sorry because you grieved the heart of God? There's a huge difference between the two. I don't know about you, but I've been in trouble before, and I've just been sorry I got caught. And if I was honest, I would have just said, and there's been times I apologize. Honey, I'm sorry I got caught. I didn't say that. Because in that moment, I'm like, I'm so sorry. The reality is, I was sorry I got caught. That's what disqualifies you. That mentality, that that heart. Let's move on. So we have temptation, fantasy. Then you have, you begin to move towards sin. So you're moving towards sin. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 22 says, Run from anything that stimulates youthful lusts. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. Come on, a pure hearts. You enjoy companionship with people who call on the Lord with pure hearts. Not just people who call on the Lord. Folks stand at the Academy Awards and the Grammys and they say, I want to give all God, I want to give God all glory, honor, and praise while they're half naked. I'm sorry, that's not someone that you should fellowship with. They're calling upon the name of the Lord, but they're not doing it with a pure heart. And the only reason I can say that is because the Bible is very clear about how we present ourselves, how we act, and things like that. There's, the Bible says that you are known from your fruit. They'll know, the tree is known from its fruit. If you've got a tree that's standing there beautifully bloomed and there's no fruit, guess what? There's nothing good in it. Same thing for people. You are known by your fruit. Christians, believers are known by their love. That's why I condemn those actions of what happened in Charlottesville because there's no love in that. And if they are a believer, they're known by their love. So you're moving towards sin. Then, as you move towards sin, then becomes the act of sin. First John chapter 2, the first two verses. My dear children, I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of the world. So you go from this movement towards sin into the act of sin, and then guess where it leads? Death. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. Now that would be heavy if I left it there. And I'm going to leave it there for a minute. Because the wages of sin is death. We deserve death. We do. We deserve death for our sin because that's biblical. That's That's what the payment is. You bought something, you expected to pay for it. And that's the payment. I won't leave you in, in 
leave you in waiting anymore, but the, the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. Sin will lead you to death. Christ will lead you to life. And it's up to you to decide. Choose this day who you, were, who you will serve. So there's a process to temptation and sin. Number three, you have to learn how to overcome temptation. This is where we're going to make the rest of our message practical for the next few minutes before we wrap it up. Learn how to overcome temptation. See, James doesn't leave us, leave us hanging in those verses. In verse number 16, he says, so don't be misled. My dear brothers and sisters, whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God, our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He never changes nor casts a shifting shadow. Why is that important? Because let me tell you something. If God in Scripture condemned an action or called it sin, and it was sin then, what do you think it still is today? Sin. God doesn't change because society changes. God doesn't change because people change. God does not change. He is God and I do not. In Malachi, he says, for I am God and I do not change. In James, he says that God, is, God is, never changes or casts a shifting shadow. Satan is the master of dangling sin in front of us and making it look enticing. We've talked about that. Then after we reach out and take it, the reality of that sin is miserable disappointment. I mean, if, if anybody in here is real and honest... And they would say, you know what, I've been tempted. I've moved towards sin and I've ultimately sinned. How many of you at the end of that would say today, oh, I, I, still, I still think it was good. I, I, I enjoyed it. Man, no, no one does that. Because there's a miserable disappointment at the end of it. It's not what you thought it would be. Why? Because what was packaged as beautiful has turned out to be ugly. And now all you see is the ugly, not the beautiful. Because you don't need to see the beautiful anymore because now this hook is in you. And you fight, and you fight, and you fight like hell to get off that hook. And some make it. Others don't. But you fight. It's how quickly our eyes despise us when we've attained what we've wanted through lust. Our eyes even turn on us. Amnon, who is, uh, who is, is talked about in 2 Samuel fantasized for a long time about having relations with Tamar, who's his half-sister. The Bible's got some interesting stories. Read it. People are like, oh, it's boring. Dude, that's not boring. That's crazy. He, had, he fantasized for a long time about being with his half-sister. Satan holds before us this picture of sin fulfilled will bring us happiness. Man, if I just engage in this, I just turn myself up, I'm going to be happy. In Ammon's case, however, the moment the sin was conceived, the sweet taste turned bitter. He eventually despised what he had conquered, according to verse number 15 of 2 Samuel chapter 13. He despised his sister. Man, he was tempted. He gave in. He hated his sister because of it. That's what happens. In any temptation, we have to ask God to show us the reality of how disappointing the sin will be. You get in the middle of the temptation and you, you say, God, show me my way out. Then you have to say, God, show me the reality of how disappointing. You might just have to see how, much is, how, how horrible you're going to feel coming from it. How crushed and devastated your family will be. How crushed and devastated your children might be. 
We have to break through all these, these, any fantasy that we have in mind in our mind and see the backside of it, the anger, the disrespect, and even the death that comes from the sin that we so wonderfully embrace. Proverbs 14, 12 says, there is a way that seems right to man, but in the end leads to death. That's why, here's the reality. If it ain't in here, then it ain't good. Sin is in here. It's written in here. And as we know it in here, we become armed in our lives. As we know the word, we arm ourselves to be able to withstand Satan's attacks. So here's the, here's the process. Don't fall for Satan's bait. Let me map out a practical process for you. If you really want to overcome temptation in your life, do this. Don't do it. Don't overcome between you and Jesus. I've given you what God told me to give you. What you do with it is up to you. Number one, and there's some blanks underneath. Number three, avoid harmful influences. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, bad company corrupts good character. Stop hanging out with losers. And I say that in the most loving way of the person. I condemn their, 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 their lifestyle, their choices, their decisions, but not the person. Stop hanging out with them. It's so much, like, I, I, I wish I had more time, I'd do this illustration, but I could stand up, matter, matter of fact, Lindsay, come here. Come on, hustle, 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 move faster, move faster, move faster. All right, stand up on the chair. Don't fall. Come on. Come on, all the way up, on the, on the, on the arms. All right, now put, you got two arms, put two legs on two arms. Be more stable. One foot on each arm. Look at that, now you're not going to fall. Okay, now you got to turn around. <laughs> I got you. So now here's what I want you to do. Pull me up. Seriously, get me up on that chair. Come on. It's not working, right? Not working. Get off. Reality is she couldn't pull me up to her level. She's too little, I'm too big. But even if I brought my smallest daughter here, she still couldn't pull her up to her level. Because it's impossible to reach down and pull someone to your level. But it's real easy for you to reach up and pull them down to yours. That's who you hang out with. Thank you, sweetie. That's who you hang out with. It's so, it's impossible. I used to think, I used to think, man, you know what? I'm going to go into this world and I'm going to win people to Christ and I'm going to bring them all up here with me. I couldn't lift a one of them. Not one. But man, you know how easy it was for them to say, hey, Mike, yeah, we're chilling, having a good time. Why don't you indulge with us in a few beers? Want to smoke a little bit? You know how easy that was? Living for Christ, loving God, Jesus in me, Holy Spirit on me, and I'm still struggling that way because it's impossible to pull someone up to your level. Avoid harmful influences. The second one, counter temptation with the word. Let me tell you, I am a fan of counseling. I am. I'm a huge fan of counseling. Some folks just got issues they got to talk about. I'm one of those folks. I'm a fan of counseling. I'm a fan of wise counsel. It's scriptural. I'm a fan of of bouncing ideas off of people, hearing feedback, speaking into one another's lives because it's biblical. But here's the reality. When Jesus was tempted, he said, it is written. It is written. Counter temptation with the word of God. When the devil comes to you and begins to tell you that you have no value, so whoa, whoa, wait a minute. The Bible says that I am more than a conqueror, that I'm the apple of my father's eye. My ap- the apple of my father's eye has value. 
My children, they have value. You have value in the kingdom of God. You, got, you have to combat temptation with the word of God. But you only can do that if you know it. Thank you. You got to know it. You only know it if you read it. Number three, develop healthy relationships. Ecclesiastes 4.10 says, if one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Develop healthy relationships. Number four, initiate accountable relationships. Ooh, you lost me on that one. You mean I got to tell someone else about my issue? Yes, you got to tell someone else about your issue. Because Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. Too many of you got friends that are like cloth and not iron. You're taking your sharp knife and you're trying to sharpen it on cloth. All you're doing is cleaning the outside of it. You're doing nothing for the sharpness of it. You're cleaning the outside. You're going to make it look pretty. Oh, look at my knife. I can see my reflection. Yeah, but can it cut me? You pull a knife on me where I can see my reflection and it can't cut me? I don't care. I'm not scared. You pull a knife that's sharp and I can see the blade is going to rip my flesh and I'm running. That's the difference and that's a funny way to put it, but the reality is we need those relationships in our lives. We need those relationships in our lives. I have people in my life, they ask me hard questions. They challenge me and I'm honest with them. And when I'm struggling, I'm human. When I'm struggling, guess what I do? Don't give me the good Christian answer because that'd be wrong. I hide from them. I got, I'm like, you can't see me. Nope, I'm struggling and I don't know you. I'm not talking to you. And I do that for a little bit and then I realize, man, I'm, I'm going to get deeper in trouble than I am. And so then I go and I get with them and whew, the healing that comes is like, wow. You know, that's, that's God using people to sharpen you. And, and the last one of this, of this process, and my favorite part of the process, is would you just fall in love with Jesus? Oh, would you just fall in love with Jesus? I don't mean like him, or like like him, or like him like more than a friend like him. I mean, will you fall in love with him? Will you just say, oh my gosh, I can't even, I could not imagine taking a step or breathing even a little bit of oxygen without Jesus. Because I tell you what, nothing will combat sin than loving Jesus in such a way that you don't want to disappoint him. Our children do it. Our children love us in such a way they don't want to disappoint us. I have a son who, who, who looks at his father with such a high esteem and such a great love that he doesn't want to disappoint me. And I think that's wonderful, but the problem is it sometimes keeps him from engaging with me when he's struggling. Because he doesn't want to disappoint me. That's, if you will love your father like that, it will keep you in some pretty good places. I'm not going to lie. There are times, my son, there's some things he won't do because he knows he'll disappoint me. And I'm not, I'm not afraid of that. Because I want him to have this healthy, healthy, healthy fear and awe of his father. Because it's respect. It's modeled in the way we should be with our father. To where we get to this position and say, ooh, mm. Jesus ain't going to be happy with that. Let me back away from this. Let me step out of this. Let me move on from this place. Fall in love with Jesus. Develop a relationship, not a habit. You start with a habit, but habits become relationships. 
You start with the habit of engaging in the word every day, but it becomes life and you can't live without it. I, I really can't. I, I, I say those things, but I, I, really, I really cannot live without this. When I, when I, my, my greatest areas of my struggles and failures in life are the moments when I take my time and I'm not giving it to Jesus. I'm not in the word. I'm not praying. I'm not worshiping. When I go a couple of days without that, guess what? I turn into a rude, mean, nasty person. Because it's just, it's life. And when you take life away, there's nothing left. I'm going to wrap up with this if our worship team could come. Ooh, I'm going to wrap up fast. I'm going to wrap up like a Baptist, not a Pentecostal today. Why you got to laugh, Sean? As a joke, I didn't mean it. If you're a Baptist in this place, please forgive me. I did not mean to offend you. The difference is when a, when a, when a Pentecostal preacher says, I'm going to wrap up, you got about 20 minutes left. That's the reality. I don't have 20 minutes left, so I, I'm going to do, when a Baptist preacher says, I'm going to wrap up, it's like, okay, God bless you, we're out. It's not a bad thing, just a thing. So, but here's the reality. So there's this process. There's a process that God will lead us through. To overcome temptation, avoiding influences, being in the word, having healthy relationships, having accountable relationships, and falling in love with Jesus will lead us to this place. Because the reality is, Satan wants to put you in his trophy room and mount you on the wall. That's his desire. Just like the fisherman when he fishes, he catches the trophy catch. He wants to mount it on his wall. I remember my uncle had this big, beautiful blue marlin mounted on his wall because he caught it. He said, I want to display what I tricked. That's what he did. He hid the bait on a hook, made it look enticing, jacked that hook through his mouth, reeled it in, hung him on a wall. That's what the devil wants to do with you. He wants to trick you into taking his hook. He wants to bring you in all the way into him and then hang you on his wall. But here's the thing. Because of Jesus, because of Jesus, the devil has to practice catch and release. He has to catch you, but he has to let you go because the devil said that Jesus said that there is no death in me. And if there's no death in him and there's only life in him, that means sin does not exist in him and cannot exist through him. And so when the devil has his grips on you, Jesus is like, you know what? That's mine. It's kind of like it's kind of like he did with Job. He said, "Tempt him all you like; you can't kill him. I'm not gonna let you kill the man, because the devil really has no real authority. We give him that place. He's got to practice catch and release." Verse number eighteen of James chapter one. He chose to give us birth, give birth to us by giving us his true word, and we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. You are God's prized possession. You are his prized possession in whom he is well pleased. So what if I fall? What if I fail? Proverbs 24, 17 answers the question, the godly may trip seven times, but they will get up again. But one disaster is enough to overthrow the wicked. 
The godly will trip and fall over and over and over and over and over again and get back up and get back up and get back up again. Those that apart from God, oftentimes they fall once. That's the end of it. So you have an opportunity today. I'm going to give you your opportunity today. John, 1 John chapter 1, verse number 9. It's very simple. This is not just about salvation because you could be sitting here and say, oh, well, I've given my heart to Jesus. That's okay. I did too. I did it this morning. I'll do it again tomorrow morning. I'll probably do it again this afternoon. I'll do it about 57,000 times this week. 1 John chapter 1, verse number 9. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. That's your opportunity today. Your opportunity is to confess your sins to God. It's to literally say, God, forgive me for lustfully looking at that woman. God, forgive me for cheating on my taxes. God, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me for whatever it is that you know is sin. And how do you know if it's sin? If it's in here and the Bible calls it sin, it's sin. And you know what it is. And even deep in your heart of hearts, you know what it is.